If you would, this morning, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to the Gospel of John. We're going to look this morning at John chapter 1 and verses 19 through 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, underneath them, if you'd like to. And as I always like to say, if you're here this morning visiting and you've never used a Bible before, that's okay. That is perfectly okay. You can just follow along. I will read everything that I'm going to share with you. We are in the Gospel of John. I am preaching through this Gospel. We just started in in January, and we spent quite a bit of time going through verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which is known as the great prologue to the Gospel of John. It is the great introduction. And we spent quite a bit of time in those 18 verses because they're so important. It starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we get this grand, glorious picture of who Jesus is. But now we're going to take larger portions and move a little more quickly as we go through the Gospel of John. And this morning we are introduced to in a more complete way, a little bit about him in the prologue, but we are introduced more completely to this person named John the Baptist. And in John 1, 19 through 28, we read, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked them, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Well, our first point this morning is, who are you? John the Baptist attracted enormous attention among the Jewish people during the time of his ministry. John was very popular. People were flocking to him. It's a little bit difficult for us today to grasp how enormously popular John was. Or how curious people were about him before the technology we have today, before the social media that we have today. In this time, everything spread by word of mouth. And people were just like flocking out to the desert to see this man. And in verse 19 it says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? 
And if we drop down to verse 24, the Apostle John has a parenthetical statement there. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So it is the Pharisees who send priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? You They were concerned. I mean, these huge crowds were going out to John and they want to know from him, who are you? It was interesting in my reading this week, it said that secular historians from the first century give more information regarding John the Baptist than Jesus. That's how popular he was. That's how much attention he attracted. And when we understand the context of his appearance, I think it helps us to understand why. And I've shared this with you before, but want to share it again. It's so important as we understand and interpret the Bible. But there was what is known as 400 silent years from the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, to the beginning of the New Testament with the Gospel of Matthew. 400 silent years. There were no prophets. There were no words from God. Just silence. 400 years. That's a long time. That's more than four lifetimes. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, if if you allow me to put it this way, this crazy man shows up. I mean, he was different. This guy in the desert starts preaching in a very bold way. And everything surrounding John brought curiosity and some mystery. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that his, the events surrounding his birth were miraculous. The angel Gabriel, the same angel Gabriel who comes to Mary, comes to who would be John's father, the priest Zechariah, and tells him that he and his wife Elizabeth who had been barren her whole adult life, that they were going to have a baby, that they were going to have a son, and they were to name him John. And so ever since his birth, they were curious about him. And now he's in his adult ministry. He's burst upon the scene. And so the office of the prophet, silent for 400 years, all of a sudden is renewed by this unusual and bizarre man who comes forth from the desert. And John begins his radical prophetic ministry. And everybody's curious about him. A good way to remember John the Baptist is this. John the Baptist has one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament. He is the great connector between the two Testaments. And so they want to know, who are you? Well, John immediately tells the priests and Levites from Jerusalem that he is not the Messiah. When they say, who are you? He immediately clarifies with them that he is not the coming Messiah. Now, just a point of clarification here. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But when we talk about Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name and Christ is his title. The word Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament word for Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, we are really saying Jesus Messiah. That's why sometimes Jesus is referred to Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And at this time in history, 
There was intense longing for the Jewish Messiah to come and to free the Jewish people from Roman bondage. Again, in our culture today, it is hard for us to fully grasp what it were in government. But the Jewish people were at this time under the oppression and bondage of Rome and they longed They longed for a Messiah to come and at least in their thinking to free them from this bondage. And so it is natural. This guy in the desert bursts on the scene and they're wondering. They are wondering. Is this him? Is this the Messiah? Is this the guy that we have been longing for? And in verse 20, John, it says, he confessed. And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This is an interesting verse. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, does a masterful job with explaining this. He said that in the English language, this is an awkward statement. It's almost like he's double saying the same thing. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And R.C. Sproul says, if it's awkward in English, it's even more awkward in the Greek. And he said, it's very difficult to fully translate into English the full power and emphasis of what John is saying. R.C. Sproul says this, he says, in the Greek, John is making the strongest possible statement you can make to deny that he is the Messiah. He wants everyone to be clear. He is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It's almost as if, let's make one thing very clear. I'm not him. Well, in verse 21... It says, and they asked them, what then? Are you Elijah? Because not only were the Jewish people waiting for Messiah to come, they were also waiting for the second coming of Elijah. Because they knew from the prophet Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, that Elijah would come before Messiah would come. So if you're not the Christ... Are you Elijah? And let's take a look at that prophecy because it's very important here. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Right at the very end of the Old Testament. Behold, Malachi says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the, of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there's a strong understanding among the Jewish people that Elijah would come before Messiah comes. And they asked him, are you Elijah? And notice what he said. He said, I am not. Now, this is a problem for Bible students. Because when he's asked if he is Elijah, he says, I am not. But if we go to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, 
Jesus is telling the crowds, he is affirming, he is talking to the crowds and affirming the ministry of John the Baptist. He is talking specifically about John the Baptist. And Jesus says this. He said, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. That's what Jesus said. If you are willing to accept it, John the Baptist is the Elijah who is to come. Now, how do we reconcile that? Well, I think the answer is John is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi, but he's not actually Elijah himself. And that was a misunderstanding among the Jewish people. They thought Elijah was actually going to come back. But John comes in the spirit and power and ministry of Elijah the prophet. Kind of was dressed like him, preached like him, but he's not actually Elijah. John Piper puts it this way. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi, but he's not Elijah reincarnated. It's not like Elijah has now come back to earth. So John is correct. I'm not Elijah. I am not Elijah in the flesh. So they said, next they asked him, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now I want you to look very carefully at that question. And this is another reminder that in the Bible, words matter. Words make a difference. They don't ask him, are you a prophet? They ask him, are you the prophet? You see, not only were the Jewish people waiting for Messiah to come, not only were they waiting for Elijah to come, they were waiting for the prophet to come, the prophet that Moses had told them about. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And ever since Moses said that to the people of Israel, they were waiting for the prophet. Some English translations have, are you that prophet? That's how they translate it. Are you that prophet? And John says, no. You know who the prophet is? It's Jesus. The one that Moses talked about, the prophet that God would raise up, is Jesus himself. And so John says no. So, if you're following the thought of those priests and Levites who were sent by the Pharisees, so you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, so who are you? And that's our second point this morning, John's witness. John is not the Christ, he is not Elijah, and he is not the prophet but he is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness it's as if john is saying here you've looked at malachi you've looked at deuteronomy but i want to take you to a different prophet who truly clarifies who i am and what my ministry is about and that is isaiah the prophet in verses 22 and 23 so they said to him who are you We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, 
I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John, John the Baptist, declares himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40 in verses 3 through 5, which is so crucial to this passage in John, it says, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Isaiah said, someone's going to come. There's going to be a great voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And every valley is going to be lifted up. Every mountain and hill is going to be made low. The uneven ground will become level. The rough places will become a plain. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. John says, that's who I am. I am that voice that Isaiah prophesied about. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. John has come to prepare the way for the king. It was John's job to say, the king is coming. Get the highway ready. Make the road level. Because the king's coming. The king is coming. And he was to create this great anticipation and and excitement and conviction in the hearts of God's people so that they would be ready for the coming of the true Messiah. Well, following his declaration that he's come to prepare the way for the Messiah, John the Baptist carefully describes his relationship to Jesus. And in verses 25 Through 28, it says, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. They want to know, John, if you're not these people, then why are you baptizing? We're going to talk more about that tonight, Lord willing. If there's a service, we'll talk more about specifically what was the meaning of John's baptism. But John says this at the end of verse 26 and in verse 27. But among you, Stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I want you to think very, very carefully about that statement. Jesus is already on the scene. Put this in a chronological context. Jesus is about to burst onto the scene in the beginning of his three years of ministry. 
And John says, among you already stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. And he said, I want you to know my relationship to him. I am not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. I'm not him. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. little background helps us with this. In the first century, there were many rabbis. There were many teachers. All of these rabbis and teachers... have disciples. And these disciples, so it wasn't just Jesus who had disciples, lots of teachers had disciples. And it was the role of the disciple not only to listen to their master, their teacher, not only to practice what their teacher taught, but they would serve. They would serve their master in any and every way that they could they would be the ones who would, like the teacher would move from area to area. They would make sure that he had a place to stay. They would make sure he had food to eat. If he needed new clothing, they would help provide for that. They were kind of like, if I could put it this way, disciples not only were apprentices, but they were like advanced men. And wherever the teacher would go, they would go and make sure things were ready. We see this even in Jesus' ministry. He tells his disciples toward the end, to go to Jerusalem and prepare a room for the Passover. The Passover that would we now know as, as the Last Supper. And they went and they prepared the room just like Jesus told them to. But there is a very important what is known as Jewish idiom here. The untying of the strap of the sandal. There are lots of things that a disciple would do for his master, for his teacher. But there was one thing he would not do. He would not untie the strap of his sandal and wash his feet. That was the job of the house slave. And that was not only the job of the house slave, but that was the job of the lowest of the lowest house slaves. If you were a house slave and you were at the bottom of the rung, you are the one when a guest came in, you would untie their sandal the strap of their sandal and you would wash their filthy dirty feet because they had just walked maybe miles on a dirty road you would be the one who did that that job was reserved for you this is what john is saying he is saying to these priests and levites i want you to know i'm lower in comparison with the one who's to come, Jesus. In comparison to him, I'm lower than a disciple. In fact, I'm lower, I'm not only lower than a disciple, I'm lower than the lowest house slave. I am so low, I'm lower than the house slave who unstraps the strap of the sandal. I'm that low. And what he is saying, the one who is coming is so much higher than me. Get your eyes off me. I want you to look to him because he's magnificent and he is beautiful and he is powerful. In essence, he's saying to them, God is coming.
God in the flesh is coming to you. I'm so low. I'm so low. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Folks, this morning for us, we're not worthy. We're not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal because he is so great and so magnificent compared to us. But this is what I want you to carry with you today. John the Baptist is the supreme example of how to point someone to the truth about Christ. I think John is so underrated in Bible study. He is the supreme example of how we are to point people to Jesus. John says, I'm so low. I'm so unworthy compared to him. Look to him. Find your salvation in him. Find the desires of your heart in him, not me. And as you share Christ with others, follow the example of John the Baptist. If you want to give your personal testimony, that's fine. There's a place for that. But don't spend your whole time talking about you. You point them to Jesus. And you talk about how beautiful he is. How wonderful he is. How magnificent he is. I don't know what you use for evangelism. Maybe you use the Romans road. Maybe you use the four spiritual laws. Or whatever guideline it is that you use to share the gospel with others. When you do that, don't do it in some emotionless, rote methodical manner like well here's what you need to do and don't always act like you're just in a theological argument and you're trying to win the argument with them you need to be excited about Jesus you need to tell them how exciting Jesus is and what he means to you you need to tell them that he has come to save them from their sin. That if they will repent and trust in him by faith alone, he will forgive them. He will make them a child of God. But not only that, that he has come to give them life and to give them life more abundantly. He has not come to make them healthy and wealthy, but he has come to fulfill the greatest desires and longings and gnawings of their souls. He has. You need to let them know that Jesus is everything. And if you're not excited about Jesus, you need to ask yourself why. I mean that very seriously. I don't mean that critically. If you're not excited about him, you need to fall in love with him all over again. Because we need to tell people he's amazing. He's wonderful. He's glorious. Everything that you so long for in the depths of your soul, those things you lay awake at night wondering about and worrying about, he has come to fill those deepest needs in your life. Let me tell you something. John the Baptist was pumped about Jesus. He told them about Jesus. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal, but let me tell you about him. He's amazing.
And I want him to be amazing for you too. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would have such a love and excitement and passion for Jesus that we would long to tell others about him. Oh Lord, renew our love, renew our passion for the one who is most beautiful, who is most glorious, who is most wonderful. And that is Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.